Brother, there is no need for me to destroy you. Surrender. Surrender your world. <laughs> you always did need an audience, you sap. Let me tell you, I ain't practiced much magic for a long time. I want to show you a trick Mother showed me when you weren't around. He was on special occasions like this. Ah, uh, oh yeah, one more thing. I'm glad you changed your last name, you son of a bitch. This is In The Cut, and hello, I am Jesse. For this episode, I got Aaron here with me, dear friend of the show. There's Aaron. Hello. And we watched the 1977 film Wizards. So I've got Aaron here to take it apart with me. The format we've got here means looking at the whole film. So even if you are some kind of lunatic who doesn't care about movie spoilers, you'll still have more fun if you join us after you've watched Wizards, or re-watched Wizards, as the case may be. We've got you covered there, though. If you head on over to our site at inthecut.org, you'll see all the different ways you can watch Wizards uh, right now. So if you are ready, Aaron, we can get right down to it. Uh, yep. Yep. I'm Aaron. Hi, Aaron. Hi, guys. So something I forgot to do last time, when we did This is England, I forgot a key element of the show, which is the sponsors. Mm-hmm. Fuck. Do you remember me forgetting that? Man, we're going to lose money on that one. I know. So I'm just going to go ahead and bump the sponsors uh, by a week. So we have the same sponsors as the preceding week, which is these three Oregon Lottery scratch-off tickets that I bought. One is Jungle Jim, mm-hmm. who I think has been with us since the beginning. Good account. It's a good... Uh, yeah. She's some joke I was going to make about Account sponsors. works, I think. Okay. Why don't you just, just calm down and... Come down and scratch our, scratch our sponsors. Okay, I haven't finished reading which ones they are yet. <laughs> well. The the other one is uh, Gift Grab, which I think I talked at great length about when I got it. It's the gigantic one that has the big pile of presents in the middle. It looks like a white elephant party of some sort. And then there's one new one that's uh, Merry Money. Hmm. Both of the last two have Christmas themes because we're recording this actually the day after Christmas. Merry Christmas. Hey, did you have a, did you have a nice Christmas? Uh, I did. I did have a nice Christmas. Uh, I, I was expecting to mostly just take the day off work and, you know, catch up on sleep. I've been really sick, and I think you have, too. Yes, I have. Part of the reason we didn't record last week. Um, but I ended up, yeah, I ended up seeing some friends on Christmas Eve and then some other friends on Christmas Day. Drank about 70 mimosas, <laughs> like a lot of mimosas. And by the end of the night, I was, you know, sometimes when you're drunk, you get nostalgic. I don't know if you've had this experience in your life. <laughs> Sounds a little familiar. So I ended up just, I kept forcing him to put on YouTube clips of Love Connection. You know that old dating show Mm -hmm. that was on TV when we were young that I just hadn't thought about in 20 years? It's good though. They were, they were, they were along for the ride a little bit. They put some, they put on some like Belle Bouve DeVoe and some other, we all got kind of nostalgic together. It was nice. Excellent. Yeah. How was your Christmas? What did you do? Um, I made some pies, uh, made some gravy. Got pretty hammered. Mm-hmm. Listened to the Rob Halford Christmas album. Which is a tradition at this point. Yes. And also drunkenly chatting me about how good it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty fantastic. That man loves his Christmas. Speaking of Rob Halford, did you get a um, mysterious gift from Amazon of a Rob Halford wall-sized poster of Rob Halford straddling a motorcycle on stage? Um, no. Okay, you might want to check your junk mail folder. Okay. <laughs> Oh my! <laughs> I had a problem. I, you know, all my Christmas stuff was last minute and a little half baked and everything. Two about two thirds of the donations I made either didn't notify the recipient or yeah, didn't notify the recipient. And then the Amazon ones, I think they all did notify the recipient, but none of them said who it was from. 
So everybody got weirdo emails like a stranger has bought you a plush Cthulhu doll or a stranger has bought you this Barry Manilow poster or whatever. And no. So like now I have to like completely annoyingly like track people down. It's awkward. I, sent, I also had uh, I sent out I gave people uh, Tefer International Llamas and uh, none of them got notified either. These fucking charities are terrible, man. <laughs> I hate charities now. Uh, it's okay. I just sent you a booze. As his, <laughs> I sent half people, half of the people I know charity, and the other half booze. Oh. So you should have some booze. With the well, guys. I would be equally happy with either of those. <laughs> you know, my brother got me for Christmas. <laughs> he got he bought a bottle of gin and then got it confiscated on the airport on his way up here. So it got to be a story about a bottle of gin. Yeah, that all you bring uh, liquids on airplanes these days. What I told him was the story immediately, because it was like the funniest thing in the world to me, your story about getting on the airplane with a duffel bag full of little airplane-sized booze bottles, (laughs) because they're small enough to pass through, like, you know, TSA security. Right. And that your insistence that that's why they're called airline bottles. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, i'm trying that to tell you i true. think it's because it's the size they give you on the airplane and you're like no 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 uh, uh and then my idea that you, you you could save money by just getting a pack of 200 sandwich bags and a couple bottles and just pouring one ounce into each sandwich bag and ziplocking it shut uh, you can have two ounces well that's yeah you're saving 50 percent on your sandwich bags in that scenario mm-hmm. great yeah just get a jigger and yeah it's a good present for you to yourself for an airplane i guess should we get to our sponsorships oh shit we are right we should probably do our first sponsor here we could do two at the beginning and one at the end we got jungle gym and merry money are the one dollar ones and then the big gift grab is the two dollar one so do you want to each do a, a one dollar one here at the beginning that sounds good do you want jungle gym your uh, your old friend or the new merry money the seasonal one i've had i've had luck with jungle gym we'll stick with jungle Not gym so much with christmas You got two hippos, but you didn't get three of anything, unfortunately. Ah, bullshit. bullshit. Would have been $50. Hippos are valuable. And, yeah, Jim's catch would have been a chihuahua. Merry Money one is a more traditional one where I think you're just trying to match three of the same dollar amount. Uh, We didn't win any money on Merry Money either, so... Uh, two losers on the on the um, on the podcast. <laughs> two losers on movies. <laughs> two losers on movies. That could name. be the name of the podcast. <sighs> the time has come. Kill. Wizards came Wizards. out in. Yeah, remember Wizards? I do. Yeah, so 1977 movie by Ralph uh, Bakshi. Have you seen other Ralph Bakshi? Bakshi? Uh-huh. Also, do you know how to say his name? I have. I think I've been listening to old episodes, and I've mispronounced every director's name so far, so I'm on a roll. I think I've always said Bakshi, but I have no idea if that's correct. <laughs> so have you have you seen other work by him? Yeah, it's probably pretty much... Most of what he's done, uh, at one point or another. Fritz the Cat was the first one, and I still have yet to see it, despite being a fan of our, you know, our Crumb. Yeah, well, our Crumb was not a fan of Fritz the Cat, the <laughs> film, <laughs> for good reason. Was it terrible? It was pretty. I mean, a lot of his stuff is pretty bad. I know Fritz the Cat got the first X rating of an animated film ever. Yeah, it had cat nipples. It's also because I used to, for a long time, I thought X wasn't a real rating. I thought it was something that like. It was a schoolyard invention that there was such thing as an X movie or a triple <laughs> X movie or whatever. Well, the whole uh, doubling up the X—that's a—that's uh, a fake thing, or you know, that's a marketing to right. sell your porn movie thing. But the actual X rating was was a thing for. I don't know when did it stop being a thing. I don't know. I, I think they got rejiggered at one point when they introduced PG thirteen. Yeah, uh, well, they, the NC seventeen was NC seventeen replaced X. Yeah. I think around that same time. And of course, you know, and everybody has an opinion on this, but of course there's been those kind of slowly sliding, you you know, it used to be that you, like PG, you could have certain things that now you can't have in PG. I think it's always been entirely arbitrary. Yeah, um, I guess so. There's a Although, fantastic I, documentary about 
how the whole rating system works. Huh. That'd be a kind of a cool meta episode, maybe. Uh, this film's not yet rated. <laughs> it's probably a good Netflix yeah. find. Uh, the other thing about Fritz the Cat, though, which was the most successful independent animated feature of all time, supposedly. So he had some uh, something to work with after that, I guess. Like he had some pull. Yeah, I think a lot of his stuff did really well. I know Wizards didn't lose money. No, I don't think it started with any money. So <laughs> that was, it was not a uh, well-funded project. Um, I was actually, that was one thing I was surprised. Like, you know, I mean, a lot of it, when I was watching it, you know, looked so, you know, often kind of sloppy. But then, you know, seeing the credits, it's like five animators or something working on that movie. It was not, it was not a big production. Yeah, it's insane. And two things about that. One is that Bakshit feels, of course, the same way. <laughs> uh, he said in an interview, he said it was done for the same budget of the first minute and a half of a Pixar film. Yeah. Probably about right. <laughs> I think it was one that, and I don't know the entire story, uh, but I do know that it's he started making it under certain auspices, and then the studio, which I think was Warner Brothers originally, wanted to kind of veer it a little bit more for a broader audience and bring in some kind of more celebrity voice talent, and he kind of balked at that and ended up kind of parting ways, and then it was in limbo for a little bit, and then 20th Century Fox ended up picking it up, and it's the first animated film they've ever released at the time. But yeah, it's. It, let me read you a quote from, from an interview with him. In fact, it was so low budget that Bakshi and his animators couldn't afford to do pencil tests of scenes. <laughs> which is considered a key step in the animation process. I did the storyboards at my desk, he explained. Every day I would come to the office and do the day's storyboards. I would time the storyboards with a stopwatch, and I would give the storyboards to the layout man. The animators animated it, and we went to ink and paint. We didn't have money to redo anything. <laughs> and you can see that in the in the finished piece in, in a couple ways. One is, like, the, you know, the ink work sometimes is, like, really sloppy. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, you'll, it'll be translucent, and you can see the thing behind it when you're not supposed to. It'll be, colors will shift, or things will, will move a little bit. But even that's kind of only occasional. And when you're considering it that the movie kind of was just like one take, almost, or as close to like one take as an animation can really be, it's pretty amazing, and, and, and a pretty amazing attention. Yeah, there, there's definitely uh, some scenes where, yeah, just like his, you know, really good sense of pacing and everything really works and particularly i mean some of the scenes where he's just obviously like what he has to work with is uh he's really i mean has this amazing creative ways of getting around around the limitations i mean i think this is maybe his first movie where he really used rotoscoping and you know later went back with a budget and really uh did some cool things yeah. i mean he's kind of known for uh, rotoscoping but you know where those rotoscoped uh, battle scenes were basically he just lost all his budget but you know after he lost his budget to fill all those the big battle scenes he basically just took battle scenes from you know ben-hur and uh i forget but you know a couple of super high budget awesome horse battle scenes uh, and uh just really kind of quickly rotoscoped them mm -hmm. and edited them in in a way that was you know often very effective sometimes a little silly when you have the giant scene and then you have the three goofy cartoon lizards running yeah <laughs> and waving their uh, yeah swords. and the way it blended the different things like obviously it's jumping from this like storybook illustration style with narration to the kind of this really traditional like almost he-man style simplistic animation to this like more yeah, robust stuff and and these like backgrounds that are animated sometimes in by like camera tricks and other things that aren't even like traditional animation in ways and he's compositing them kind of more and more crazily as the movie goes on to the point where in the last battle scene it's just like everything it's just cutting from one style <laughs> to another and layering what this with that and it's kind of pandemonium but it never loses me yeah i mean i i there were scenes that that didn't work but when it really did hit i felt you know i felt like the scenes he really put a lot of work into yeah sometimes it worked and just the craziness, the collage of it all really right. made the fact that it worked it was so much more engaging. Right, and and he, he uses different styles to establish different tones kind of earlier in the movie, and then when he's kind of cutting between them or layering, he kind of gets to use those different emotional associations and layer and juxtapose them. It's pretty good. It really works that, you know, the back, you know, he has different background artists for, you know, I forget what the happy fairyland is called, but you know that's all done by one artist, mm -hmm. and then all you know, Scorch is all done by another artist who is I'm actually really 
into the, I forget his name. I actually went and looked him up. Yeah. But, you know, all the, the kind of like really heavy, intricate pen, uh, black and white stuff. In the animation, it like it almost succeeds in spite of itself. Mm-hmm. And part of why it really succeeds for me is that I really love seeing the fingerprints of the of the craftsman on a piece of work. Oh yeah, ab- absolutely. And when you can see the actual brush strokes and the scribbling that goes in when you see all this stuff, it it has such a much more human element than something so polished that it that it seems like kind of surreal or hyper real. And again, the the act, the out and out mistakes were actually pretty few and far between considering but the the kind of like just tech textural jumps or when the animation was a little bit like floaty and and it seemed like mm-hmm. things didn't have any weight to them and i think that's again back to cuz they couldn't do any pencil tests and do actual like uh, process the animation in a in a way that they, they should have had more time for and stuff even that just feels like it's adding to it for me and in the way that i don't know if you've ever dorked out on like concept art for movies and video games and mm-hmm. stuff but sometimes like Sometimes the concept art can be so much more beautiful than the finished kind of matte paintings and stuff because it's, you know, you can see the fingerprints of the artist in it in that way. And sometimes even the sketches of the concept art looks kind of cooler than the concept art ends up. Right. <laughs> and, and because you can actually see what the decisions that go into it and stuff and the technique and stuff. That was one of my favorite parts. But yeah, the scorch backgrounds and stuff. Sorry to prattle on, but this is like the most exciting part of it for me. The Scorch background, seeing those in high definition for the first time was a whole new experience. It was like a whole new movie. Yeah, and uh, that that artist was, um, yeah, he was a very formative artist for me. I just remember, I didn't realize it was the same guy, but I remember definitely in my dorky, dorky youth, he was, you know, he did a bunch of H.P. Lovecraft paperback covers um, that were these really like this kind of black and white and red nodded cool stuff and he did a lot of art for i forget some some rpg source books that it wasn't it wasn't actually dungeons and dragons but i I forget what it was i think it was something that was actually sort of supposed to be used with dungeons and dragons yeah all this really cool inventive stylistic stuff that was much more interesting than what was in the actual Dungeons and Dragons books. Yeah, and that's part of why it holds up to repeated viewings for me because I've 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 watched it a couple times kind of in preparation for this. Um, and every time it's even if, even if the story didn't click and the characters didn't click and nothing clicked, it would still just be like I don't mind spending thirty minutes just like walking through the art gallery, right? At all, like it's great. I mean, I wish I had more time with some of those scenes. Like I, they would just take them in. And because of the nature of that super fine line work and textural stuff he's doing, I think it just would have been so lost on VHS. I, I think it was. I mean, I don't have any... Just all gray smudges. Yeah, all, all my visual memory of the movie really was that the kind of bad, floaty animation, which, you know, I think, I think you know, all of the traditional animation is definitely the weak point. It is, although it's it's just one kind of style in the blender, and it, it it's there to serve its kind of purpose and other styles are there to serve different purposes. As far as the rotoscoping goes, it, it reminded me of one another movie that I hadn't realized was by him until I looked into it, but uh, American Pop. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, I think that was really perfected that. Um, one of my favorite animated movies of all time, and I hadn't realized was the same guy. Yeah, it's also it's nice for him to do a movie he didn't write. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he did, after Wizards, he did The Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. which I think was met with mixed. <laughs> it never got finished. I mean, he did, you know, he also broke that up into several movies, and hmm. I, th- I think it was, you know, he was going to do the trilogy as two movies, and yeah, I got to the end of the first and then never finished it. Then he also did um, Fire and Ice was, you know, his kind of rotoscope. I think maybe his first rotoscope movie that really had a real budget. Hmm. Um, maybe it was after Lord of the Rings. Pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, the animation was great and everything. It's, it, it was definitely racist in that low fantasy way that, you know, heroic white people fighting the semi-human black people. <laughs> Monkey men. Nothing, you know, super overt or anything, but... Out of the white lady being menaced. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do ladies well. <laughs> yeah, this movie had a real bad problem. <laughs> real bad uh, male gaze problem mm-hmm. going on. Where every time Eleanor's shown in a close-up, it's like her tits to the top of her head. And every other character is like chin to the top of her head. Even Avatar, who has like this flowing beard, they just chop <laughs> the beard in half. They don't care. But when yeah. it's her... And then she right? says... 
boy, I sure am dumb about things. <laughs> I'm a dumb lady. Yeah, and when when they after the betrayal, when when the elf guy comes across her in you know Black Wolf's castle, he goes slut right really loud. <laughs> At her, like what the like how why is that the insult he chooses as she has not I mean nothing sexual it was she's like a, a Judas to them but he shouts slut mm-hmm. just because that's because it's a gendered insult and it's just right. I don't know this seventies fantasy politically often not so great right. I mean he also heavy metal is you know the other movie he is famous for making and uh, mm. man a lot of that amazing art of just that just is like that kind of what's it what's the word for like you know the kind of art of the you know photorealistic surrealism i don't know i i thought surrealism yeah but i mean like that's what dolly would have been called right yeah i mean there was i mean so much of that in that kind of slightly drug inspired 70s fantasy scene i mean so much of it like really amazing and i was just you know thinking how much i would love to see that make its way into you know some of these you know movies with the amazing budget i mean what if instead of avatar james cameron had just got himself some great great concept artist and really tried to translate that sense of scale that you see in some of those just like these amazing huge you know oil paintings yeah we really tried didn't we yes eleanor and that's all anyone really could have done steady here they come Braxis, Plaxis, Draxis. Oh, Montegar, forever. Well, cool. There's a couple more things I want to touch on. Okay. I'm talking about the sound design in it. I don't think that's something I noticed too much. It's not. There's not much to say, really. Obviously, a lot of the like the action scenes have these really like dippy, noodly guitar rock music that just feels so ultra dated now. But it works good enough, you know. the The movie is 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 a more of its time than than really timeless, so it's fine. So they, I, I like the music, but the foley was so awful. It just every sound effect just sounded like off a free sound effect sample. Oh, I do remember. I do remember. Like I think you earlier mentioned uh, in terms of art styles, like Key Man, like those you know early '80s cartoons that we grew up with. A lot oh. of the sound effects did, yeah, just sound like that. <laughs> the splashes and the airplane sounds and the worst were when they got cartoony like that, though. Yeah. yeah. Right, or the boyoing, boy, like five <laughs> times in the movie they just shoehorned in a boyoing thing and it just, oh, it just hurt to hear. I liked um, I liked the, the narration was a woman named Susan Tyrell. Yeah, I I read about um, she refused to let him use her name. I knew that too, and I noticed in the credits that she didn't wasn't named. But mm-hmm. I don't know why. Do you? Um, she just you know thought it was a silly project. Hmm. <laughs> I think she later said you know to wrap back she ninety uh, percent of the work I've gotten since then was because of that. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> um, she has a really wonderful voice and delivery, and that that kind of like. Uh, almost croaky or like just like mm-hmm. a little bit rough voice but so just really delicate at the same time i, th- I thought that was a real special piece of voice she work. Was, she was she was a singer right is that i believe she was oh she would be i mean i would believe that she is i should say okay i think that's she was a folk singer or something i mean i don't know i knew at one point yeah and i liked how they used her to and 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 to kind of accelerate the storytelling in the in the kind of the storybook uh narration scenes to move the story forward they didn't they they just they fit they felt very natural in the flow of the thing they didn't feel like a crutch really even though i'm sure they kind of were and then the guy who did the voice of the avatar the name the you know the main wizard guy was uh i just happened to look him up and find out that he did the voice of mogwai and all the gremlins in the gremlins movie <laughs> so awesome. nice little tie also in uh Mark Hamill. Who was Mark Hamill in this one? I saw his name in the credits, and I forgot to check which character. He must have been the uh, uh, the what's his name the the stabby elf guy. Stabby elf. Yeah. It was funny the the opening of the movie with the elves. It's like even in a cartoon where no one is actually black, they killed off the black elf first because I did the guy's voice. 
Yeah, it's okay, just the thought, you know, I obvious, uh, kind of over the top, like <laughs> cop movie thing where it's the the right <laughs> kind of um, the tough elf guards. Two and, days from the, elf retirement. Yeah. Uh, what are we looking for? Hey, so dumb. We're looking for the priests, man. The priests. What? I don't know. I guess because you need God on your side, stupid. Who's that? Who's that? That's them. Who's that? Them, them. Uh, listen, you guys, uh, we hate to interrupt you, you know. We're sorry. Yeah, but, uh, you see Black Wolf, you know, our Fuhrer. What's an elf wolf? Uh, shut up, will you? Black Wolf. Our Fuhrer started this war, see? Uh, we got all these prisoners, we don't want to feed them or stuff we like that. We got time for that. We just got time for war. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we were out. Uh, I want to ask you guys... He's asking you, not me. Yeah, I'm asking you if you guys want to take care of him. It's okay with us, right? Me too. Yeah, see. Me too. Yeah, okay, Dumbo. Okay. Do you know, um, is, um, is Ralph actually Jewish? I was, I meant to look that up. I don't know. Because, I mean, it felt like there was a lot of, I mean, there was a lot of pretty overtly about, you know, the Holocaust stuff going on. Right. I mean, it was it was in some ways just a literal, like, right. there was no nuance to that. And, and I think deliberately so. That it has, like, he sat on a throne in the middle of a giant red swastika. <laughs> His armies had swastikas on there, you know, and the videos he would show would be videos of Nazi right. propaganda. But there's a lot of other things that, you know, just felt pretty Jewish about the movie. The little, like, interstitial comedy bits with the gas mask guys. I mean, mm. that felt very Mel Brooks. I want to talk about two of those, actually. I'm glad you brought those up because I would forgotten. Are, and, like, and the religion bit, I mean, those were... They, you know, I think much more based on on rabbis than anything else. I guess they did have a cross and whatever, but they're right. They're... But they also had like Coca Cola logos and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? I thought that scene was one of the best in the movie. It worked really, really well. <laughs> the two gas mask guys, the way they kind of riffed off each other and talked over each other as they were going, like kind of growing, going into the church like building, and they're like, "No, I get, you know, we got it. I guess we just got it because <laughs> God's supposed to be on our side or whatever." So, and they're, I don't know. I just loved their banter with each other. Other, and then they see that <laughs> that's them is that them you know it just felt i loved it it keyed in so well and then the i don't know that the the actual like the weird little dance and thing that the the two religious icons did had a real like direct like metaphorical meaning it, i think it was just meant to be a weird right just this is this is silly ritual right it was it, because it was like millennia after the fall of man mm-hmm. and these were just the a religion was just cobbled together out of the scraps of you know society as, as they remembered it and, and i yeah. thought it worked really well it's it, it only it was a couple of viewings before i kind of quite got the beginning and end of that where i think they have some elf prisoners outside and they're going in to consult the religious leaders on right. what they should do with them and then at the end they could just machine gun them down because they can't get an answer because they didn't it, it was so that was so off camera that i didn't quite pick up on that <laughs> but the actual scene in the, the little church area worked really well for me yeah i, I kind of liked all the little comedy bits with the gas mask men i mean they were not not fantastic but they were uh, they're definitely what i remembered from watching it before that's a lot of people's experience, I think. One or two people I've mentioned this movie to remember the uh, they shot Fritz bit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the most clear memory I had of the movie also. Because it's a great bit. It really is. And, it, and that was uh, rough back to you doing the voice. Really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fritz, get up, for God's sake. Get up. They've killed Fritz. They've killed Fritz. Those lousy, stinking yellow berries! Those horrible atrocity-filled vermin! Those despicable animal warmongers! They've killed Fritz! Take that! Max, I'm okay. I'm okay, Max. Just a scratch. Look, I'm all right. Max. Oh. Oh, damn. There you go again, stepping on my lines, raining on my parade, costing me medals. Oh, damn! Oh, Fritz. Fritz, get up, for God's sake. Get up! They've killed Fritz! They've killed Fritz! Those lousy, stinking yellow fairies! Those horrible atrocity-filled rarities! It's weird because I don't know how they thought they could pull it off, even though they eventually did, 
to just make it not out al- really allegorical at all. Just I don't even know if there's a word for what they did. Um, they just used like I think they might just be bad writing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was bad because it worked. You know. It, well, this I wouldn't say that like the story or the character or any of that worked. I think there was just enough other things to look at that you. I mean, for me at least, I mean, maybe. I think it worked as a, thematically. I thought that it, it was interesting that you know he's he's drawing on all. So so the movie is initially right off the bat set up to be a face off kind of between uh, magic and technology, which is this story as old as time. Kind and of. it's very, I mean, very much the whole thing. Very much is Lord of the Rings. Huh, know, sure. The whole structure. What made it interesting, a couple things, but one is that uh, Black Wolf is drawing on all these different ancient technologies and he brings, he, he is able to reconstruct tanks and weapons and all these different things. And he's still, according to the narration of the movie, is still just really unsuccessful in waging war with these tools until he uncovers the propaganda. Mm-hmm. And that ends up being really kind of the missing link in his whole strategy and stuff. And I think that because it's made overt in that way, it does work. And and the fact that then they're they're all wearing swastikas and flying Nazi flags and cutting in shots, you know, scenes of of uh, World War Two movies and stuff. I mean, it's it's maybe it's bad writing and they just happen to pull it off again, kind of despite themselves. <laughs> or maybe it's it's a little bit lazy because it just didn't it didn't have more than one le- layer going on at the same time. Like, again, it wasn't meant to be like allegorical towards World War Two. It's sort of meant to be like telling parts of the stories of World War II <laughs> as part of your story. Do you remember the scene? Okay, so there's a scene where the lizard uh, lackey is chewing on a piece of pork, I guess, that's hanging. <laughs> and at the end of the scene, it turns around and rotates and shows a star David on it. <laughs> I didn't get that. <laughs> that was either. a little over, either over the top or misguided or just I missed what they were going for in that. Mm-hmm. It's like I kind of already got that it was a World War II thing. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of was able to already figure it out. But the fact that it was like a cloven-hoofed animal that he was eating, I didn't know if that was meant to be. Yeah. It almost seemed like a weird fuck you. To, 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 I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't fucking get that. Well, so here, there's a bigger thing that confused me. This movie's made in 1977, and it's a, it's a, a couple years after we pulled out of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And it seems to completely exist in a world in which Vietnam never happened. Did it? Well, it, it, it's that it's that every aspect of the of the war and, and uh, kind of good versus evil side. And of course, like we we're saying, like all the imagery and everything is drawn to real directly and, and unapologetically from World War Two stuff. But it's coming out to an audience that's just kind of still recoiling from the horrors of Vietnam. And yet none of it thematically or overtly seems to apply to that i think that was kind of true for most movies i think you know vietnam was unpleasant you know movies don't necessarily i mean how long after 9-11 did movies really start to address that except by you know getting more patriotic and more good versus evil i mean (laughs) sort of i thought that there i thought that there was some change kind of a culture shift that, that, that happened pretty quickly Although movies are a bigger part of, I think, our, our cultural narrative now than maybe they were yeah. 30 years ago. You know, there was Deer Hunter and, you know, movies of the late 70s that really did address that. But I think Right, it's like the opposite point... of Apocalypse Now, which was based on a story about World War II that was made into a story about. Mm-hmm. Whereas this is just, it's it's really like, just forget about Vietnam almost seems like the mindset yeah. thing that went into this. Because I, I really thought that Vietnam was signified a big... A cultural shift in how we think about war and how we think about this idea that it always is a good guy, good team versus an evil team, and there's always this balance and of uh, of power and just good just struggles and wins out in the end, which was so not what Vietnam was about. And right, well, I think when it, I mean there's a pushback against uh, you know when that shift happens, there's a lot of people who would still like. <laughs> for things to be easy and simple and uh sure like vietnam was just an aberration or just you know people are going to the movies you know 90 percent of movies are just we have good cultural political satirical films coming out now but we also have transformers 3 war on the moon and uh <laughs> you know i don't think they really get into the political aspects of their moon war but this one gets into the political aspects of war 
I mean, this one has it, video of Hitler in it. Right. Well, it has the political aspects of uh, one team is good and the other team is bad. It, yeah. I mean, and, the and, Decepticons are definitely presented as bad. And and, and the kind of the, the means of war and how it's waged and kind of the, the insanity of the of the actual war on the ground. Like that, I think that one of the reasons that the um, they shot Fritz thing really stuck with me is because it's it's like tragic but really funny, but also just like <laughs> weird and chaotic in a way that I think actually does shed some light on the kind of the ground aspect of a war and and how people can die randomly and, and senselessly for no reason and it's still you know shitty and bitter but also like bizarre and weird. I think Catch Twenty Two is like a great example of that. Mm-hmm. So I think the movie did kind of really have some to, some ideas about war to bring to the table, but just it it all, it felt like it was so it responded to Vietnam by just pretending it didn't exist. I don't know. Yeah, I also think it was written maybe a quite a ways before. Hmm. Yeah, I think it was actually like something he wrote. I could be wrong about this, but like wrote in high school. Huh. I think you're thinking like of James was, Cameron's Avatar. <laughs> is that also something he wrote in high school? No, he wrote that when he was a kid. I'm not kidding. Uh, well, that shows. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think it was something he wrote, you know, maybe a good ways back and never got produced till then. Sure. And it can be true to itself like that. That's fine. I mean. Mm-hmm. Oh, the story I was going to tell. Yeah. Is the, the meeting that they got their budget uh, cut at was also the same meeting that the original Star Wars got its budget cut at. Huh. And those guys were, you know, he was friends with George Lucas and, you know, changed the name. I think he was originally, it was going to be called Wizards of War was the original title. And he changed that because it would clash with Star Wars. Right. George Lucas kind of uh, recommended the, to uh, Mark Hamill that he do the movie. Hmm. Those are my George Lucas knows Ralph Bakshi stories. <laughs> yeah, Wizards of War would have been a perfectly good movie title, too. Because they are wizards of war, although, you know, Avatar obviously spends the first quarter of the movie or so just avoiding the conflict and then and gets by with his magic. I, I like the I think the third act of the film is really strong. I really like Avatar going into it just really hollowed out by the betrayal of Eleanor. Mm-hmm. And he's just kind of like sleepwalking through it and he's getting pulled into the Scorch like main castle and he's just casting spells to make flowers appear and stuff. And it's like, please stop doing that. <laughs> It's a great moment. There's a few great moments along there. And then, of course, it comes to a head in the final showdown, which is, I think, probably aside from the They Shot Fritz thing is the thing I remembered most clearly about this movie. Yeah, I was I remember as a kid thinking that 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 was awesome. That was like blew my mind. It's awesome on on a couple levels. One is that it's such it's obviously it's a reversal of expectations because you're said you're staging. And in fact, they even say earlier in the movie a few times, like, I guess I'm going to have to have my big magic showdown with my brother. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't even need to because it's the we're so familiar with that format that we're expecting the big knockdown drag out battle. But and there is a big knockdown drag out battle on the battlefield between the elves and the orcs right. or whatever. The mutants. But then he just just bitterly and and I think still his motivation still being that he's just so fed up with everything, <laughs> pulls the gun and shoots him. It's great. It reminded me of what we were talking about Joss Whedon doing really well. Mm-hmm. The other way that it works... Yeah. It was kind of a magic trick. He did pull it out of his sleeve. It's true. That's right. I want to show you something mom showed me when you weren't around. <laughs> Just for situations like this. But the the layer below that is that we are we go into the that sequence believing that one side has technology and one side has magic. And we're going to see which one is stronger. And because of how every story in the entire history of the universe goes, the magic is going to be stronger. But then he just pulls out this unit of technology and finishes the job instantaneously and effectively and without repercussion. Yeah. And I think it was, I mean, it's also, it was a, you know, a German Luger. It wasn't just any gun. Right. And I think there is, I mean, I, you know, in a lot of interviews, you know, Ralph Baxter said, you know, it is partly, you know, the movie is about the formation of Israel. Hmm. And, um, you know, I think there is that little bit of, now you guys don't get, go getting fascist about all this now that <laughs> uh, hmm. you've, uh, you've won. I think that it, it's, it's a great surprise theme that technology isn't the evil. It's that technology is morally uh, neutral mm-hmm. and just the application of technology is all that really matters in a, on a moral scale. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great. That's a great surprise revelation to take away from the movie. There was some rejoicing. But 
but mostly everyone wished to return home quickly to tell their loved ones that the war was won. Hitler was dead again, and that they could live once more in peace in a land they loved so much. God given. Amen. How do you feel like it holds up? Um, if you were thinking maybe there was a you had a friend who was you know 18 or 19 years old and you wanted to show it to them do you think it would work for them i don't know um i guess it depends on you know someone who's really into in you know who could really get into the art you know and i think that is mm. the aspect that still all these all these great paintings and that uh but i, th- I think the writing definitely not not great and the all in all was also also dates poorly in a lot of ways i mean the kind of weird misogyny and the i don't know um i think that there i i I was thinking about that question and i think that there's two ways a movie can be timeless one is or or stay relevant and one is that it's made in a way that's really timeless and a lot of famous and amazing uh, movies have a timelessness to them and it can stand the test of time uh that way (laughs) and this one doesn't at all but it does as as a really nice kind of time capsule of the era it was made in. That's that is true. Then um, also, um, I bet it would still be great uh, if you used some drugs first. Which I mean, that was a move that you guys totally <laughs> forgot to mention. That obviously this was a movie that you were supposed to um, have influences while you watched, because then I'm sure it's just huh. so much better. I guess I could believe that. I, I, wasn't, I was under the influence of sleep deprivation and alcohol, but I am <laughs> at all moments of my life. So. I mean, there's definitely a lot of scenes where they're having an intense battle scene and they just start put on some psychedelic rock and right. flash blue and red. <laughs> uh, I bet that's great. Right. I bet that holds up. Psychedelic rock and flashing lights are <laughs> timeless. <laughs> Probably the best part of this movie was when there was flashing lights. (laughs) (laughs) And tits. And tits, right. Yeah. um... Yeah, no, I think it's a a great... uh, I think you get real insight into the kind of the prevailing attitudes of of the 70s. As well as, of course, like you said, the art, I think, is is timeless. So just taken on its own. I liked it a lot. I really... I I have to say I liked it a lot. And it, it, it obviously has problems, but like... A lot of movies that I like, I like them included like kind of warts and all. And even the, like like we were talking about the art style kind of being showing the fingerprints of the creators and not being real polished. I think every aspect of the movie is really like that. The story and everything right. else. I mean, it's real obvious that like Bakshi himself and and the people to whom he's, he's writing this movie for uh they're 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 people who would be in their late teens, early twenties in the sixties would now be in their late twenties, early thirties in the in the late seventies, and obviously their kind of fantasy is settling down with this like twitty, busty idiot like <laughs> woman child who just wants to have sex all the time. That and, was another weird thing about the ending was he's like, all right, now I'm the wizard gets the lady. His lady's dad just gets killed right in the beginning, and it's like that's oh how convenient <laughs> for me. And he and he's he's just blasé about everything, and he's well, did I forget to pack my scotch? You know, just it's really like I could see our dads being in their late twenties, early thirties, and just finding that avatar character to just be like fuck yeah, that's the life right there. <laughs> And, and so it's it's stupid and and attitudes that went into it are are totally stupid and and I still love them anyway. Yeah, so I I, I I'm delighted to rewatch Wizards anytime. He's even as, as kind of idiotic as it is in some ways. Come on, let's make it. Avatar, <laughs> you're getting older and much bolder. Come on, I mean, let's make it out of here. Sure you did. Time renews tomorrow When we've used today It will find the sorrow And wash it all away So the next movie that you were thinking of doing, what was the next movie you were thinking of doing? Uh, is it the John Carpenter? Um, Prince of Darkness. Prince of Darkness. Um, this is. I don't think this and... is podcast worthy, but let me tell you a quick anecdote. 
Okay. I was listening to a um, DJ Shadow uh, last night, yesterday, on Christmas Day at my friend's house, who's a huge DJ Shadow fan. I just put it on in his living room. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a brief snippet of a movie clip at the end of one of the DJ Shadow songs that's, you're receiving this broadcast. Yeah. Um... And it reminded me uh, of, uh, there's a longer sa- version of that sample in a song a really early Marilyn Manson song. He uses a much longer I remember that one too. clip from the same movie. And I remembered I, I had heard it, I, I think even more than just those two places. I feel like I'd even heard it somewhere else as well. There's another, there's definitely another song that samples it. And I was just remarking to my friend last night, like, I, it's been like 10 years that I've been wondering what that sample was from. And, and when I was trying to look into it, but around that time, the way you looked into what a sample was from was you asked your friends. <laughs> and if any of them had rented that movie from the local video cassette store, uh, they may be able to tell you or guess. And you would have no way of knowing whether they were guessing or telling you something they knew. Mm-hmm. So and, and then after a couple more drinks, I'm like, fuck it. You know what? I'm going to look up this goddamn movie and find out what the hell it is. And I look it up and it's John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness the very next movie we're about to do. I couldn't believe it. I felt like, holy shit, this is like divine intervention (laughs) almost. After like 10 or 12 Uh, years, more than 12 years, I finally look it up and it's like days before I'm about to watch it for the first time. So I guess we should do that movie next. I would also like to do um, Beast of the Southern Wild because I just got it on Blu-ray. Okay. But uh, let's do uh, Prince of Darkness. Beast of the Southern Wild, I'm really, really, really interested in seeing. And, you know, obviously, you know, but um, I have such a fondness for that guy's original short film, Glory at Sea, which had such an effect on me. And I've been looking forward to watching Beast of the Southern Wild. You've seen it, so maybe maybe you have a better idea whether it's a good one to pick apart. I think it is. You know, it's definitely a movie that I had some arguments Mm -hmm. about and had yes have some opinions about yeah um so i i would i would like to do that one at some well, point well I, I i'm there's no question that i'm going to watch that one way or the other for sure but let's let's do prince of darkness next week and uh, what can you tell me about prince of darkness what would be a good thing to keep an eye out for when i'm watching that um cuz i haven't seen it i don't i know nothing about it except yeah. that it's a movie i had heard these samples from uh, i don't i don't know i mean you're a john, john carpenter guy right sure you know, it's got that, you know, John Carpenter does tone in a really interesting way. Mm. And, you know, I think that's, you know, this is not a perfect movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it has some, uh, a lot of things that don't hold up well and a lot of just, <laughs> when you, the actual plot is, uh, has, <laughs> has some sillinesses to it. Really? Um, After your last suggestion, Nightbreed, I can hardly believe. <laughs> The best, I think, apocalyptic movie I've ever seen. Hmm. And I'm always looking for a good, you know, not like a, all the buildings are getting destroyed apocalypse movie, but it has this great, you know, encroaching dread, hmm. the religious apocalypse, not just not just any apocalypse, but, you know, the Catholicism is always great in horror movies. You know, I think The Exorcist is still one of the scariest horror movies ever. Yeah. Yeah, and, just, uh, just just that, that Catholicism to draw on is, I mean, I think that's just so baked into our culture. Hmm. If you want to do magic, have it be Jesus magic and <laughs> devil magic, and, you know, that'll just get a little bit of extra oomph. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's got this great apocalyptic tone, this, you know, and it's just great John Carpenterness all around. Um, a terrible, terrible mustache. Does John Carpenter um, score it? Oh, of course. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Goes. Get a lot of mileage bloom. out of that Casio. Bop, 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 bop. He's got like it's not just one Casio dude. <laughs> <laughs> He's got like three guys there. They're on Casios with his beard doing it up. Oh man. Yeah, John Carpenter, of course, I very near to my heart because of Dark Star being one of my <laughs> unimpunable favorite movies dark star also because of the dan o'bannon connection is a (laughs) is a movie i find myself bringing up in almost every movie conversation i ever have in one way or another i'm able to bring it around to dark star which i haven't done too much in the course of this project can you try and relate wizards to dark star really quick oh i don't i don't know if i can i'm maybe if you'd asked me earlier in the conversation before i was petering out a little bit definitely is a movie you can see uh (laughs) see fingerprints on yeah (laughs) 
Right. And, uh, Literal fingerprints on that painted beach ball. If you buy the video cassette version of Dark Star, which is one of four versions of Dark Star I've bought, there's a quote from it's, it's, who knows how they even got reviewed by Time or Newsweek or somebody. Mm-hmm. But it's the quote about the movie is the effects are lovingly rendered with the means available. <laughs> And that's the pull quote they use on the box for the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that's there's there's a there's a wizard's tie-in right there. But when I've been listening to the earlier episodes of this project as we've been recording these and I've been editing them, I've found we've referenced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in almost every single episode. <laughs> and in the Prometheus one with John, we reference it twice. <laughs> The film or the cartoon? Or just general? Just the Ninja Turtles in one way or another, Ninja Turtles are referenced as a basis of comparison for something. All right. Well, I think we've got an episode in the can at this point. That's movie talk. Yeah. (laughs) If you head to inthecut.org, I'll have uh, some links up for ways that you can watch John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness. uh, And you can come back and join us next week and have conversation about it before you go aaron we have one more sponsor i hope you haven't forgotten this is the two dollar oregon lottery scratch off lottery ticket top prize is ten thousand dollars which will buy us a lot of microphones and whiskey so let's hope that we win are you hoping that we win i'm gonna okay make sure you don't forget to hope that we win starting right now okay okay i'm going okay I like this one because there's a lot of scratching, but it makes especially (laughs) terrible radio because there's a lot of scratching. One of the prizes, I haven't finished scratching it off yet. Okay. And and, and what it is is, we might have touched on this last time because I think this is the second time I bought this lottery ticket because I really like the drawing on it. They're all supposed to be kind of silly, bad, white elephant gift exchange presents. But you're supposed to match three, and then you win the dollar amount. Mm-hmm. And so there's like chatter teeth, pickled eggs, musical tie, mm-hmm. rubber chicken, right? But one of them is wizard for a day, <laughs> which I love, A, because it's we're talking about the movie Wizards, B, because that's not a terrible present. That's the best present. <laughs> and C, what the hell are they talking about? <laughs> how, do you, how do you give someone wizard for a day as a present in a gift exchange? Maybe that's someone's in-joke at the Oregon Lottery. Who knows? <laughs> what the fuck is a trick brick? <laughs> it's where it's where they open a box. <laughs> this is my guess. It's where the, the gift recipient <laughs> opens a box. It's empty. They look up to you and say, what the hell? And you hit them with a brick. That's a pretty good the old, prank. That's the old trick brick. I don't think I got two of anything here. Oh. Oh, no, it says you only have to match two, so I practically won. Okay. <laughs> but I didn't win, because oh. there's not two of any of them. I might not have been hoping. Thank you so much again, Aaron, and uh, I really look forward to watching John Carpenter's Prince of Magic. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I really appreciate you joining me again and doing this. I'm still having so much fun doing this with you. Hooray! Okay, I love you. Say, say Merry Christmas to Aurelia. Will do. Okay, bye.